What came first, chicken or the egg? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, chicken or the egg? That's an, that's impossible to answer. What came first? I was trying I was trying to think of a flip. That there's there's somebody told me a really good answer to that once, and I can't remember what it was. It was the uh, it was the butcher, the hatch, the incubator, the uh, uh, the DNA. And uh, let's go chicken. You know, your customer doesn't give a damn. Mm -hmm. They don't care whether it's on Facebook. They don't care whether it's on LinkedIn. They don't care whether you're doing posts. On this week's episode, we have our hosts, Tom. Hello. And myself, Adam. And we're joined by the wonderful Patrick Burge. He's worked with the likes of Budweiser, Snap-on Tools, Course Brewers, Toyota, just to name a few. Equipped with a sports science degree and copious amounts of experience with the industry, his expertise is truly unique. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Can you give us a little bit of a deeper dive into your background, your experiences, your stories? You know, what makes you, you? Okay, so... Um... I'm possibly one of the world's greatest failures. Because, uh, <laughs> so I'm one of the world's great failures. But anyway, what I, what I have done in the intervening 30-odd years when I was this failed sports scientist, um, worked in marketing, direct marketing, uh, promotional merchandise, and ended up, long story short, ended up being a board director of a, I suppose, a typical SME business um, mm -hmm. Providing promotional merchandise, uh, designing and manufacturing garments for the likes of Body Shop and a lot of the breweries. Um, not too many miles away from his cause brewers, who we did a lot of work for. Um, and then I exited out of that. Um, I'll have to think now. Probably six, getting on for six, maybe seven years ago now. And I sort of, um, and it was great. I mean, the business was great. But what I found in the business, I was a, a director of. Because I was, I'm really rubbish at some things, don't get me wrong, but I could do quite a lot of the things that, that the management needed to get done. Mm -hmm. But what I ended up doing over the last the, the last few years was actually doing the stuff that wasn't my natural place, not my natural habitat in business. Right. Um, anyway, I ended up exiting that business, I'd say six, seven years ago, and then sort of set out on that road of being a, um, a sort of business consultant, advisor, coach, mentor, um, call it what you will. Um, and then I've now got effectively two businesses that I work in and it's all around. I suppose business growth is really what it's about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we work with, we do, we, we're lucky we do some work for the government on some government projects. Mm -hmm. I'm an expert in the government startup loan. So we do quite a lot of work with startups and, and early stage businesses, but also work with more mature, um, mature businesses typically on do they want to franchise their business? Do they want to license their business? You know, what, what strategy do they want to use to grow? And then um, I use all the mistakes I've made over the years and maybe some of the things I got right occasionally mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, to help them do it. And I, and I don't do it alone. Look, there's, there's um, across the two businesses, there's about 10 people, about four or five in each. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that's what we do. Cracking stuff. I think that's the most in-depth bio we've ever ever had from <laughs> yeah, a, a yeah. guest so far. So well done. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no apology needed. That was that was incredible. It sounds like you've had a hugely varied background. Um, it's really sort of interesting. So I think, I guess, the first question that we want to know is why did you start the sort of career, the path, the businesses that you did yeah. over the years? What was your sort of thinking process? So um, I think probably the best place to start is when I... So I... I my early career um, was in effectively printing when uh, when people did use print and yeah. I, I know they still do and actually it's coming back a little bit these days um, and I, then I worked for um, Bemrose which is a um, big was a massive printing company in uh, on the edge of Derby um, then got into direct marketing when direct marketing was a th in the early days of direct mm -hmm. marketing direct mail yeah. response advertising that sort of area and then a bit of a bit of a career change I suppose did some loyalty program stuff and then um, so what what I found was that I I was dealing with my customers were brand managers marketeers those yep. sorts of guys yep. within big businesses corporates um, and opportunity came to um, to move into promotional merchandise and promotional clothing 
Um, and turns out that actually it's the same customer. It's the same guys who are buying. You know, there's the procurement people who are the same because they're in mar they're buying marketing services. There's the the influencer in the decision making unit is the mm -hmm. brand manager or the product manager. So um, so the the transition to that was relatively easy. And I spent crikey twenty odd I suppose twenty odd years within that business. Um, growing up through that business, we ended up. Um, I ended up doing two things. I married the boss's daughter, which is never a bad <laughs> thing to do in life. Well, it can be, but, yeah. but in this um, <laughs> within uh, reason. <laughs> uh, and we bought the uh, bought the MD out, or bought largely the MD out, and then we ran it from about 2003, I guess, um, through to when I left about six years ago. Um, but it's a, it's a classic, you know, five six million pound turnover business. Um, now, but another one of those businesses that's really well known in its own niche, it's called, it's called Logo. Um, it's really well known in its own niche, but almost unheard of anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I left that, um, I sort of took a took a pause. You know, I do all the things that you you do when you, you exit a business, you know, stop, think, reflect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I kind of worked out. I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I'd love business. I'd love working with people. Mm -hmm. And so I did a thing, and I'm trying to remember what it was called now, I sort of put myself through a process of um, a thing called Strengths Finder, which actually is a process of understanding, and it sounds a bit woo-woo and a bit weird, but understanding what you're rubbish at, what you're good at, yeah. because my agenda was about where can I add value for the next 20 years? What are the, mm -hmm. things, that, what are the things that are changing in the world of work that are going on out there? that i could maybe add value to and of course make some money doing you know, yeah, yeah. You know i'm not i'm not ambitious in the sense of wanting to be a multi-zillionaire but of course money is the collateral mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that, mm -hmm. that we all end, end up with at the end of it so i ended up um setting up a business called smorgasbord and then i worked out that um this was all about business advice and i worked out that actually the business advice coaching sort of world is a bit of a broken model or was, and it's a bit better now. And I sort of felt that um, the problem with it quite often is that business coaches find it quite hard to get clients. We all, any business we're in, we all think it's hard to get clients, yeah. but actually business coaches do find it quite hard to get clients. So what they tend to do, and this isn't all of them, and it's not all business coaching businesses and et cetera, et cetera. But what a lot of them do is when they get a client, they hang on to that client for grim death because they're hard to get hold of. And therefore, there's almost as a, there's an incentive to sort of pretend, if you like, that you know everything about everything. And of course, nobody does. Mm -hmm. So I sort of, I hit this sort of barrier. I had some clients and I thought, do you know what? This isn't really working. So what I need to do is get some people around me yeah. who are a lot better at the things that I'm not so good at. I can do most things. But I'm not an expert in all these things. Was that difficult for you to admit to yourself that actually I can't do some of this stuff, I do need that help? Or was this a, actually this is going to help me because this is something positive? How did you... Actually, it was a bit of a bit of a light bulb moment. It, was a re it was actually it was a relief because yeah. I went, oh, it's not me. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm rubbish at this. This isn't me. This isn't my fault. This is just that I haven't got the experience, the yeah. knowledge, the skill set, the capabilities, the, the, the way the mind works sure. to do that. So I ended up, and at that time I was working, doing quite a lot of work for the government on this thing called the Government Startup Loan Scheme. And I met, I suppose through that connection I made through that, three other guys. Um, and I'm, you know, dare I say it, pretty good at the sort of strategy planning, mm -hmm. um, that side of business. And um, because I've had a bit of a sales background, you know, I understand a lot about what makes people tick and that yeah, sort of side yeah. of business. Um, but I'm, you know, financially, uh, if somebody talks to me about fi the financial structure of a business, yeah, I can read a spreadsheet and a balance sheet and all that stuff. Yeah. But if you dig under the hood, I need somebody who's better at that than yeah. me. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm no better than the client I'm trying to serve. Yeah, and that's, that's not really helping anybody <laughs> long term. Yeah. So I basically broke down the world into people, execution, cash and strategy. Okay. And I think that in, in any business there, you know, you can break it down in lots of ways. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, and I follow a guy called um, Vern Harnish. He wrote um, a book called Scaling Up. He wrote he, a famous book called The Rockefeller Habits, I think, think he mm -hmm. wrote. And, and I followed some of the stuff that, that, that they were doing in a loose way. And they got, sort of got a different model, but, but some similarities. So I wanted to get some people around me. Mm -hmm. So I got some people around me who are better at the things I'm rubbish at. Yeah. So yeah. we can work together on this sure. stuff. 
and we and we ended up by hook or by crook doing again quite a lot of government work where businesses can get free business advice and the government pays to give it which is which is great mm -hmm. and it's brilliant um and the other thing i really noticed with the biz call it business advice mentoring coaching whatever yeah. that world is that what i understood what i've worked out is that human beings what we buy is effectively products so i've got a cup in my hand you know it's a it's a, it's a product yeah and i came came across this thought about um back in the back in the day people who um uh who sold products they added services around their products mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it's called serviceifying your products yeah so you add a guarantee you add a warranty you yeah. add a buyback you add a bundle you added all this stuff that is a service that surrounds the product and i thought actually if you're selling a service what you might want to do is productize your service mm -hmm. because if people are buying something that's a bit more tangible psychologically we can grasp that what's the output what you know that's that old cliche you don't buy a drill you buy a hole yeah. you, know, you yeah. buy the output yeah. of, of, of yeah. what's going on so um and i felt and i think that's that's what some business coaching businesses do really well yeah at various levels and that's why people quite often who who come out of corporate life and want to be a business advisor they go yeah. and buy a you know, um, a franchise of some sort to, yeah. to, to do that because there's more product around it. Yeah. So, um, and it's, it became a bit became a bit of a thing for me when I realised that you have to almost sell something that somebody grab, grab hold of. Yeah, and it's not rocket science because if you look at um, SaaS software businesses, that's what they all do. That's what mm -hmm. the, that's what SaaS startups have always yep. well largely done. You know, they have the bronze, silver, gold package. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, we all buy the silver one because that's the one it's they the want middle. to buy. Because that's, yeah. that's why it's all driven towards. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So once I worked out those two things, it was actually a bit of a bit of a relief because it was like you know I'm allowed to be rubbish at this. Yeah, and it's weird that you sort of were strange, I, I guess, because the coincidence and the sort of things that align with marketing around that are we see a lot of the time that marketeers focus on the features of a product yeah. so so much, but at the end of the day, like you're saying. That's not the end goal. People are buying the benefits of that product, not the features. Yeah. So you sort of lead with that benefit, that end result. This is how your life's going to change. Yeah. You're not buying, oh, you know, this iPhone 64 gigabytes. Yeah. You're buying a communication device that will do this. It's, yeah, yeah it's interesting that those things align with. Customers don't care. No. no. You know, I'd say to a lot of our clients, say, do you know, your customer doesn't give a damn. Mm -hmm. about whether you're and, and talk about the marketing world they don't care whether it's on facebook they don't care whether it's on linkedin they don't care whether you're doing posters or i've got a client who's doing 48 sheet posters all over london because he knows yeah where where his audience is yeah, yeah. and where the traffic literally the traffic is above <laughs> yeah. the audience on the a40 <laughs> but but um people don't give a damn no. They it's, buy a result. It's yeah. simplicity as well, isn't it? I think that's why companies like Apple have got marketing absolutely nailed down because they sell simplicity and style. Yeah. They they don't go into the nitty gritty of the tech specs. They're there if you want to see them, but it's not what they shout about. And yeah. I think that resonates with so many people that have, are just overwhelmed with other forms of marketing and sales full off that yeah. it's refreshing, isn't it? At the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, it was a great. Um, it was a podcast I. I used to listen to and I stopped for some reason I don't know what I don't know what happened I stopped listening to it not for any reason I just forgot about it <laughs> and then I sort of come back to it more recently and he had this great he, in, he interviewed some people this is this is five or six years ago it's mm -hmm. one of the first marketing podcasts I've ever, ever listened to and um he it might be an apocryphal story but but effectively it was a sort of I think it was a garage owner who went to a, um, a marketing company and said I don't care what you do here's some money make my phone ring Nice. <laughs> and he said, I, I don't want to know what you're doing. Well, yeah, within reason. <laughs> as long as it's not immorally illegal or whatever. But um, but just make my phone ring. Yeah. And they said that was the best brief they ever had. Yeah. And of course, they had to dig under the hood and find out all about the business. Sure. But that, so they did. Yeah. We'd love a few more of them, won't we, Adam? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we could do with that. <laughs> can, I, um, can I get you to rewind a little bit around the, um, the manager buyout piece that you did um, back in the logo? I think you yep. said it was. That'd be really interesting because that's something that, that happens more often than not. And it, that 
a lot of people aren't aware of it as well that that yeah. is a possibility yeah i mean i think the thing is when you when when you're in a transition period of either a management buy-in or a management buy-out and there's lots of lots of ways of transitioning businesses from one ownership to, to another ownership huge number of ways for, for me it was really all about um smooth transition understanding that your customers may not understand why you're doing it and what you're doing it. and to a degree they don't need to know but actually the practicalities of it are when you, you know, ring up a customer or email these days and say oh by the way we're no longer company abc we're company def yeah now certainly corporates that may that may actually kick you completely you may have to go through the whole procurement process again to get relisted yeah and it's bonkers because you're the same <laughs> apart from possibly one or two people who have exited you're the same company yeah mm -hmm. so i think for me that was the way we transitioned was we ended up effectively setting up another setting up another company and doing it over a number of years but because it was um underneath it all a fact like a lot of these businesses there's a family business the transition was relatively smooth um but it's in honesty it's not for the faint-hearted because what you end up doing is you end up having two well we use sage you know two accountancy systems yeah two sets of accounts two sets of this two sets of that um and there are ironically there are lots of accountants out there who understand that but it's not all that frequent i mean the vast majority of businesses who are relatively small businesses they're like shooting stars they grow first generation they might sort of in some sense hand over to generation two and this is that great clogs to clogs in three generations is, is a known thing yeah and um and a lot of businesses they become and i hate the term lifestyle businesses but they create a lifestyle for the management team and then all of a sudden at x point you know when everybody's had enough they go mm, right what happens now mm -hmm. and of course by then it's give or take too late yeah and a lot of businesses literally just well metaphorically literally shut their doors and i think that's a shame mm. and i think there's a more understanding about businesses changing from ownership to another ownership and what value can be built in the brand even small companies can have a brand and having having that balance sheet that's healthy and transitioning in an orderly way over a period of time with some transparency with the staff um and there's some great schemes out there and i know really good um uh accountant locally here charmwood that they talk about and I, I might get the terminology wrong here but they talk about employee ownership schemes yeah which is a really great way and don't ask me about the details again <laughs> um, i'm aware of it and you know what i what i do is if somebody wants to talk about it i go you need to talk to these guys um but a way of transitioning the business to a new set of dare i say younger um and possibly more energetic owners um but the one thing I do think is, is business. Once once you're done in business, you need to get the hell out of there, for every for everybody's sake. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's an important thing. Uh, maybe get the hell out of there over a period of time. Yeah. But, yeah. but when it's done, it's done, and that's really hard. For, certainly for um somebody that's grown their own business, you know, and there's that umbilical cord quite often between the founder of a business and the business. Yeah. Regardless of whether he's a one percent share owner or a ninety percent share owner, still his baby. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what yeah. what was the first thing you you changed when you got the keys? Can you remember? Uh, blimey, that was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> in those days, the keys were a foot long. It was that long ago. Uh, that was the first thing. We we actually did. In honesty, the business was running pretty well. In fact, it's running very well. Um, we um, what we did is we we carried actually what we did is we carried on doing what we were doing well. We did bring some new. Uh, we bought in a new uh, some new salespeople because we wanted to expand. Nice. Um, uh, then, sort of after a couple of years, we hit the two thousand and eight crash. I remember distinctly. We were recruiting. We weren't a big sales. We had three or four people in the sales team. We we're recruiting another three people, and here, here's where experience is brilliant. So the guy that we bought out, who was still around, I mean. Brilliant. He was the guy, the only guy I ever heard talk about um, in 2005 and 2006. He said, there's a recession coming. You watch. Uh, and he, he was a bit of a doom monger at times. <laughs> <laughs> but actually in this, he was absolutely right. He said, there's a recession coming. There's a bubble here. The, the personal debt in this country is unsustainable. There's going to be a recession, and we're all going. Oh yeah, whatever. You're <laughs> you're a thousand years old. What are you? Yeah. Of course. And he t turns out he wasn't right about everything, but he was certainly right about that. And we were just recruiting a bunch of people in 
probably June 2008, May, June 2008. And he said, this isn't my business anymore. Um, and I won't say I told you so. He will say, he would have said I told you so, by the way. Um, but I, but I would. So we didn't recruit. And then in August 2008, I remember the day distinctly where we almost literally thought our phones had been cut off. I mean, people, customers stopped buying. Wow. So we had big corporate customers. We were a small business. So we were that, that typical business, which was sort of caught between big suppliers, small business, us, and big customers. Mm -hmm. So we're in that be agile, be nimble kind yeah, of, kind, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. world. And um, we literally, we were almost like pushing the buttons and the phone's being cut off. <laughs> and it just stopped like that. And that's one of the greatest things we ever did was not <laughs> not recruiting those people because we would have been okay. We could have fired them and all, all the rest of it, but you don't want to be doing that. No. So, um, so my my lesson out of that is um, listen. You know, involve other people in your business, listen to them, and then make your own decisions. Yeah. I mean, when people when people when people come to you and say, "Do you want my advice?" I always say to them, "I'd love your advice as long as you don't mind if I don't take it." Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a great way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like when my kids used to come in, so can I ask you a question, Dan? I always say, as long as you don't mind what the answer is going to be. Yeah. You know, the answer may be no or yes, but you know, if you ask me the question, I will give you an answer. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's, and it's important to, to develop that relationship with your advisors around your business. And I have lots of conversations with customers that go, this is my advice, it's your money. And that's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I'm not insulted if they don't take my advice, but that's, you know, yeah. and my advice isn't always right either. <laughs> so, yeah. How do you, market yourself what are your key channels the key things that you do to get what you do out there interesting um so in the two businesses that i'm involved with most so one's called smorgasbord but i sort of talked about earlier mm -hmm. yeah. um we in honesty we've struggled with the traditional marketing side of things okay. um where we've been really successful almost by hook or by crook is we've ended up with um Referral has been our, by far our best method, but when I say referral, it's almost by almost by default. You know, we're we've probably done more government startup loans between us than any other small group of people in the UK. I mean, right. the guy who heads that side of the business up for us, he's probably done two thousand, I guess. Right. So no, he, he's probably we've probably done two thousand between us in the business, of which yeah. he's probably done twelve hundred, fifteen hundred. Yeah. Um. So if you're an Uber, if if, you're, if you go in an Uber cab in London. My colleague Tony probably did a startup loan when they started oh, start the business back, back <laughs> in the day. Um, and, and what that does is um, we give independent advice to people, but once we've built some trust and, and help them get a startup loan, mm -hmm. well, there's a chance they may want some other stuff that we do. So that's important to us. Yeah. Um, we ended up, um, here's a story for you. So we ended up, so we, so we were battling with how we get new, new, new uh, new customers so we yeah. built this a to b accelerator thing productizing our services and that yeah. we, we we delivered it to companies across a couple of days with breakout sessions and yeah so that worked okay that was good but that didn't um give us much referral business or, or, or extra business and then we ended up um we had an office in uh within nottingham trent university in nottingham funny enough um <laughs> Uh, and they closed down because they were building a whole new big enterprise center, so we couldn't go there. So anyway, I, I knew somebody who was involved at Nottingham Central Library and said, look, can we nick a room from you on a Wednesday morning? Because we can have our team meeting there. We can all mm -hmm. come and have our team meeting. And I'll tell you what, in exchange for it, um, we'll just offer a free surgery. Anybody wants to come in and get some business advice, we'll sit there and, you know, they can book and da 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 da, yep. da. So anyway, terms up. So we did that for a while, got some clients. It was all working okay. And um, we uh, then there was a pot of money that came from the government, uh, which was going through the British Library in London. It's called the BIPC Business and IP Centres around the UK. Pot of money about it's called the Reset Restart Program, coming coming through and out of COVID, helping people who were struggling with all that stuff in, in business. Anyway, I mean, I'm I'm going to play it down a bit. We we got asked by the Nottingham gang to to pitch for the work, and. There's an element of being the people people are sitting in the seats. I, 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 we wouldn't have got to pitch for it unless we'd have been in and around the place. Anyway, lo and behold, we won that bit of business, which is great. So that that then it, now we give one-to-one -one coaching uh, on a Wednesday free of charge to businesses with an NG postcode. So Nottinghamshire, we've got a bunch of webinars we do, peer-to-peer -peer group sessions. So we've built out some stuff around that. Mm -hmm. And then other people hear about it. Yeah, so yeah, we end up yeah. doing some work for Liverpool, 
We had a massive project uh, all across the west of London last year, very similar, run by one of the councils, weirdly. Um, But it is this thing where, and and it's why it's very hard to get business as a business advice business in that environment, because Mm -hmm. they all lean on the people they know. And you have to pitch for it, and you've got to fill out endless bloody tender forms. Excuse my French, that's that's, that's the first plea for today. But once you get it, it's really good. We've been doing that for two or three years now. So, um, I mean, next we're just redo, just going to start redoing our website and doing some other stuff because we can see the end of that coming. Yeah. Uh, so that's so that's so we've got to rethink um, the way we the way we do things. And uh, you know, if you ever have me back uh, for more Warble, I might be able to tell you what, what we ended up, <laughs> ended up doing. But then in the other business that I've I've, I've worked with, um, I'm a regional director of a business called Lime Licensing Group. And again, it's one of those businesses that's incredibly well known. If you're involved in franchising in the UK, you've heard of Lime Licensing, mm-hmm. give or take. Um, and in that business, we do quite a lot. I'm not responsible for it. But we do quite a lot of SEO work, yeah. quite a lot of educational stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and get a lot of it's again it's a referral business you know yeah, we get yeah. probably probably 60 percent of our clients and they're reason you know there's walk and go and hybrid gyms and some you know some mm-hmm. very well-known um household names uh within that and um it's competitive like anything but again it's it's referral but the okay. key to that business is understanding the sales cycle right that's in fact it's the key to all businesses yeah, yeah. yeah. understanding when a when is a customer likely to be in a place where they might buy and can we be on the front row of the grid mm-hmm. when that when that decision's being made mm-hmm. so how do you put yourself at the front of that grid um i know so in the in our franchising business i i don't know but a lot of the time typically um i'll have a conversation with somebody about franchising they're franchising their business becoming a yep. franchisor and then helping them grow their business through franchising okay. and they will make that decision so that so what so there's a lack of knowledge about what franchising is in the UK. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we end up educating that person who I'm talking to yeah. about how great it could be and how difficult it might be, you know, opportunities, threats, all that, all mm-hmm. that stuff. And what they quite often do is they disappear for anything up to a year, maybe longer. And I always, I always say to them, look, here, no, I don't always say, but quite often I have the conversation that's around, look, here, here's here are the questions you should be asking me because you don't know the questions you should be asking me. So, mm-hmm. so I'm a decent guy. So I'm actually going to tell you what to ask me. And the other people, you'll be talking to other people. That's fine. Ask them the same questions. And whatever you do, um, keep my phone number because if you you will probably do one of one of several things. You'll either choose a different way to grow your business, and I can advise you on, on lots of ways of growing your business. But franchising might be one you might consider. You may go to try and if you do go down the licensing or franchising route, you might try a DIY, do it yourself, and and uh, so on and so forth. You might go on the internet and God bless you, um, franchise a business for three thousand pounds. Here's a load of templates that are either illegal, non-compliant, or out of date, or all three. Mm-hmm. And if you do any of those things, keep my phone number. Because what typically happens doesn't always happen, but sometimes happens, is that a year later somebody rings me up and goes. They, they never tell you this, but you know they've gone <laughs> off and tried to do one of those things. Yeah. Um, and they go, oh, we're ready to franchise our business now. And yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure they've gone off and tried to do it themselves. So what they end up doing is um, uh, paying twice, effectively, yeah. because yeah. they've done some stuff that's wrong, maybe launched a franchise, it's come unstuck. Mm-hmm. So we, there's about a meeting yesterday, and you might have to unwind some of that stuff, yeah. which ultimately costs them money because I'm going to charge them to unwind it charge for my time yeah. um, and then remodel it negotiate with the current franchisees who may be in a bit of stuck um, and then move forward um, and so the way we do that is we have a really good CRM system um, because what you don't want to do I mean in, in customer marketing you want to be there when the client wants you to be there at every mm-hmm. stage of the journey yeah mm-hmm. what you don't want to be doing is pestering them yeah, absolutely. So we have a CRM system, and in there, there's a bunch of automations that there's a there's a quick hit automation that goes out to the to the potential franchisor, mm-hmm. which just educates them about all the things that that they might consider. And it is relatively speaking objective, and any good consultant will be telling them this. 
unfortunately franchising there's a lot of good consultants but there's some that aren't yeah. um but i guess that's the same in any industry mm-hmm. um and then um i just keep tabs on these people over a period of time every you know in fact i've got a one of my tasks for monday it popped up this morning when i got up my crm said to me uh, it's called Mazors list as in franchisors potential franchisors and i'll be sending them out a piece of hopefully useful or interesting you know and I call it the, I saw this and thought of you email. Nice. So yeah, literally, like it's two or three like lines. So yeah. saw this. In fact, literally, something like, I saw this and thought of you. And all it does, it pings into their inbox. And I did it a month ago. And somebody rang me up and said, oh, we haven't spoken for three months. And I'm looking at them on our CRM. And I go, it's exactly a year since we last spoke. <laughs> We're ready to franchise now. Okay. And so all you're trying to do is just be on the front row of the grid. So we can ever expect to be. Yeah. Give me the opportunity. And then there's a chance that when you're ready, we're, we're here. Love that. So franchising is something that you've opened my eyes to since we've last met over the last um, few months. Obviously, we've known each other for quite a while, haven't we, Patrick? But um, should every business franchise? No, no. I, I tell you what I think. I think, kind of like something I sort of said earlier, that there's, there's lots of ways of growing your business. And uh, I've got a presentation I do to quite often to actually accountants and intermediaries who advise their clients and the way i think about it you know there's there's probably there's there's tons of ways of going to you know there's there's organic growth there's acquisition there's venture capital there's distributors there's agents i could go on for hours about about all those but what i do think is that franchising is quite often so if somebody's thinking of growing their business say they've got a business been around for five ten years or whatever and they've mm-hmm. got a, got a, it's healthy and they, they're looking to grow they don't consider franchising and i don't say that every business should consider franchising but i think more businesses should consider it to, di- to understand it and then discount it or do it i've got other directors in in line licensing who are um they've been in franchising some of them since the early 90s so um it's a bit like you know some of them are a bit more sort of every business every business Almost every business could franchise. There's no type of business that couldn't be franchised. Whether they should yeah. mm-hmm. is a very different question. And I think the fundamental thing about whether you should franchise your business is what do you want the end point to look like? That's the first thing. And what is your mindset? What is your management style? Because if you've got a, if you've got a command and control management style, um, and I won't name names, but I've had a meeting with a couple of people, in fact, that you know a couple of them, Tom, actually, <laughs> who... who I would just, and I wouldn't say this, I would say, don't franchise your business because if you're command and control, it'll drive you bonkers <laughs> um, and it'll drive the franchisees bonkers mm-hmm. um, because what you need is a collaborative and coaching mindset because a franchisee, they're not an employee, they're not a customer, they are a stakeholder of a type mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's all about that. And, and, if, and, and if you haven't got the ability to either be command and control or turn yourself into some sort of command. Uh, uh, sorry, be coaching collaborative or be, that's, you know, that, that's the thing. It's about mindset. If we were to rewind a little bit, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, I always struggle with these, these, these <laughs> They're hard I've been, questions. I've, I've been asked it lots of times in various, various guises. Uh, <laughs> so, um, well, I, th- I think it comes down to those clues. Like, Don't worry too much. I, th- mm-hmm. I think if I was, I think if I was to talk to myself a while, you know, a while ago, is that um, I think there's a tendency that we don't understand the value we can bring. Work out what you're really good at, mm-hmm. and try and make a life around that. Lots. Of, so the education system in this country, and sorry, not just this country, in the West, generally speaking, focuses quite not exclusively but quite often on get making us better at the things we're not good at yeah so yeah. i'm rubbish at maths i need to do more maths homework and of course you need to be able to add up and of course you need to be able to mm-hmm. to, to do some things now i i was okay at maths but i'm miles better at maths now because maths means something to me yeah. you ask me a margin and i can work almost work it out in my head not to not to three decimal points but to near <laughs> to, to near yeah. to near enough and um and i think there was a there's a brilliant guy and i, I I do quite a lot of reading. There's a guy called Sir Ken Robinson who he died a couple of years ago, and he's got he wrote a book called The Element, um, and he raised the question. He said, "What the education system now? Let's bear in mind the education system in this country was built in the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. and frankly, it was built. You know, I exaggerate to make the point, 
almost to give the kids something to do out of the way while their mum and dad were in the in the factory bu building the satanic mills. Um, but I think one of the things that he that Sir Ken Robinson said, and I can never remember exactly how he said it, but I think it was something like, "What the education system asks people currently is how intelligent are you." Mm -hmm. What it should ask you is, how are you intelligent? Mm -hmm. So the mm -hmm. principle behind that is understanding that we all have a type of intelligence. Yeah. And the, the education system in the UK is built around, you know, there's a whole, a hierarchy, maths, yeah. English, science. Yeah. And they are incredibly important. But they're only important if you're good at maths, English, yeah, science. Yeah. Yeah. What is if you're brilliant at art? Exactly. You, you, shouldn't be in the second, you shouldn't be in the second division. No, no. So work out what you're good at. And I didn't do that. I, I was just your classic, you know, came out of education I was good at sport went to, went to do sport at university mm -hmm. um, and then it took me years to and by the way 28 is the age that was the magic number the magic number give or take so different for women different for men so we're not psychologically we're not fully formed until we're in our late 20s okay so if you talk to um, you guys are a bit younger than me if you talk <laughs> to a lot of your friends um, around the age of 27 to 29 mm -hmm. a huge number of people and it happened to me they then they sort of change direction, change career, change direction. Lots of reasons for that. But I remember sort of kind of, you know, looking in the mirror somewhere around that age and going, do you know what? You're not perfect. But it's the best you're going to be. Um, and you're OK. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's yeah. what I would say to my former former self. You know, it's yeah, and it's easy to say it's going to be OK. Yeah. yeah. But it's likely it's more likely to be OK if you really work hard on your strengths. Yeah. And don't. Some of your weaknesses need to get done. You need to get other people to do them. Sure. <laughs> but be, be people love people who are brilliant at one thing. Yeah. So yeah. why don't we just be brilliant at one, one or two, two things? I think that's the, you know, there's you ask any marketeer or any business owner that finding that niche is one of the most vital things that you can do. And it's really odd that you mention the age twenty eight because that was the age I was when I realised that actually I've, I've done what I've done over the years. I've worked in music. I've taught. I've produced and all that sort of stuff. And I made that decision at 28 to move more into the marketing world because it's something I'd done alongside all my sort of self-employment and businesses and stuff that I'd had. Always had a passion for that. That 28 was a complete guess. I just made it up. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> That's the same for me, though. I, I left recruitment at 28 to jump Did two you? feet into the Odco and into the printers. So, so well. the people listening to this are going to think we've, we've, we've pre pre yeah, yeah, No, yeah, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. That was, yeah, that was purely genuine coincidence that 28 seems to be the age. Incredible. If, if anyone has had like a similar experience with the age 28 and you've made a massive change in your career or life, please let us know. Like, we'd love to hear more people that have had that experience. And It'd it works out okay in the end, by the way, people. <laughs> yeah yeah who or what is your biggest influence so I t I'm, I'm one of those taking little bits of lots from lots of different places kind of people so you know people do um you know they channel they channel their Steve Jobs or they channel their, or the, or whatever. and that's that's all great and that, that all their Brad Sugars or, or, or Tony Robbins or whatever that whatever their thing is um I've been influenced I mean I I, I don't claim to be I you know I'm very average guy you know very normal, very average, very normal. I'm, I'm about as middle class, middle of the road as you are ever going to find. I can tell you that for nothing. Um, and I think what I've done, I've, I've got a, I've got a sort of little thing about learning. I think for me, um, being interested and learning has been the thing. And I've, and I've taken lots of little bits from friends, uh, from people in business. I read a huge number of books. I think I mentioned Vern Harnish before. I think the um, the, the original book about systemizing your business um, by Michael E. Gerber, the the E Myth Revisited, I think is you know one of the great books. You know, um, so I I, I I was I was thinking when I was going to come and do this, I thought, what what are the things? So I always think about what are the books that are on my desk kind of, mm -hmm. or, or near my desk. There's a, there's, a, there's a small bunch of books that are always to hand. I've got about three. I, I, about 300 other books somewhere you know, I'm, I'm the world expert at reading half a book I mean I've read that, that many half books in my life that should be on your LinkedIn bio <laughs> um, so I can't name a person um, but I can just name the continual process of mm -hmm. being interested in things and you know it is a cliche do you listen to audio do you find that easier to consume at the minute audible and podcasts and things yeah I, I do i mean i'm i'm joking about books i'm the world's slowest reader i mean genuinely i mean i've actually never been tested but i think you know and we all want to name and a syndrome kind of thing so i'm i'm 
I think I've done some sort of amateur tests, if you like. I'm sort of cusp dyslexic, that kind of, but you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't let hold that up as a badger banner or or, a, or or whatever. But I do, um, so so I do like audio. Um, I, funny enough, because I used to listen, I used to drive a lot, and then during COVID, because I didn't drive, I didn't listen to nearly so much mm-hmm. audio, yeah. and I think that's. Uh, why I became a lapsed, I think I mentioned that um, small business, big marketing podcast. Yeah. I think it's why I lapsed on that because mm-hmm. I, and I was, and I, you know, but, and I used to, <laughs> I used to do a lot of running um, and that was my time to listen to, to podcasts yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and because I had an operation last year on my hip, so I don't run at the moment, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So I kind of, and habits are like that. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, but uh, so, I, so, so I think the things I listen to now, there's one called the, um, What's it about politics? By Rory Stewart and Alistair Campbell. Um, mm-hmm. The rest is politics. So I would listen mm-hmm. to that. Uh, started small business, big marketing. Um, the uh, the high performance podcast, yeah, which yeah. is Jake Humphreys, yeah, I think it is that, that one. Yeah. Uh, somebody got me into that when it when it first started out. Um, the di- is it the diary of a CEO? The um, Stephen Bartlett <laughs> thing. It's my favourite. These yeah. guys always. So say. I did did a lot. Did quite a few of those. Um, I'm a I'm a I'm a little bit fickle around that. I, I used to have very much go-to weekly things. I'm mm-hmm. sort of yes, I need to. Um, I don't need to do anything. But I mean, I, yeah, I'm a bit lapsed in that. In that <laughs> and I think it's just because of I don't drive so much. I don't run so much. So yeah. that was my yeah. time to time yeah. to do it. So, have you seen any marketing out and about over the years? that's really stood out to you, whether it's humorous, offensive, effective, <laughs> or a brand that you particularly love their stance. I mean, obviously we've got the classic little Audi M&S sort of stories that are great. Any sort of particular things that have stood out to you over the years that you thought, that is cracking? I think, I think in terms of the overall, how and where you position your brand, I think, you know, it's a bit obvious to say, but I think Apple generally over the years, right back to when, they did those massive, uh, those massive ads. There was the one that was uh, based on the movie 1984 when mm-hmm. somebody smashes the screen. The, the way they positioned their brand, and I use brand in a sense that, um, you know, including the packaging they use, mm-hmm. the um, and I think you mentioned simplicity as, yeah, a, as a yeah. thing. You know, this this whole idea that if you you know genius is making the complex seem simple. Yeah, I think they do that brilliantly, and the way they've incorporated design not being just what something looks like it's being what it does and how yeah. it you how you use it yeah i think what they've done and um steve jobs i mean just you know not not by himself he had um mm-hmm. what's his name ive the, the british guy yeah John, is it johnny Ive? johnny Ive. Yeah. yeah um he 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 was very instrumental in, in doing that so i yeah. think what they've done is just fantastic i think in terms of good good marketing so marketing that meets the expectations so uh, of the consumer so a brand, you know, this whole thing about a brand isn't what you do mm-hmm. as a business. It's what people think of what your customers yeah. think of you. Yeah. And I think love them or hate them, uh, Ryanair have <laughs> given us exactly what we've asked for. Ex- yeah. We I ask agree. for cheap travel yeah. and boy, O'Leary gives us, gives us cheap yeah. travel. Yeah. Now, love them or hate them, similar thing with Amazon. Yeah. You know, they, they do amazing stuff. And, I, and I'm talking about marketing being the four P's, yeah. not just promotional yeah. marketing. Price, place, position, and promotion, mm-hmm. and I think those businesses are amazing. I think um, McDonald's, um, arguably the best restaurant in the world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. simply because it meets customer expectations, yeah. time, and every. I could go to Timbuktu, Turkey, or or um, Tunbridge Wells, yeah, yeah. and give or take, I get exactly the same experience. So it's meeting customer expectations. Yeah, I I, I was in Loughborough. Uh, the, the one I lo- that always stands out to me is one in um, in Loughborough. Many years ago, there was a pizza restaurant, and I love humour in, in, in promoting yeah. and and an element of tongue in cheek self confidence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there was a um, a rest- uh, pizza restaurant, and they were sort of in an old, slightly old building. And on the side of their building, they'd sort of graffitied, um, "Well, come and try a pizza at the place that one TripAdvisor member said was the worst pizza they'd ever tasted." <laughs> That's not exactly what he said, but he said something like that. Yeah, I love it. And I, love I, it. I actually took a picture of it. This is years ago. I took a picture of it. Yeah. And uh, I just thought it was amazing. So that whole element of yeah. tongue-in-cheek, self-confidence. Holding the mirror up a little bit as yeah. well. And understanding yeah. that, you know, 
that actually consumers are quite sophisticated. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and everybody knows that TripAdvisor, well, most people know that TripAdvisor, you, you know, you take it with a, an element of pinch of salt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they're, they're the things that, that stand out to me. Sort of consistency is, it? I think that's one thing that I got from what you've just said over all those brands you've just mentioned is the consistency. Yeah. You know, they do everything very, very, in very, very similar ways all of the time. Yeah. We yeah. know what we're going to get. We can go to a McDonald's wherever, whenever, and we know what it's going to taste like. Yeah. Apple, we know. You systemizing know. your business. Yeah. You know, it's back to that, what that Michael E. Gerber book. So yeah. He, he yeah. talked about systemizing things. Yeah. And it is just, you know, and that's what McDonald's just. I mean, I mean the um, the story of McDonald's when Ray Kroc um, started back in the back in the fifties. Mm-hmm. It's just an amazing story. Yeah. I mean, they really were trailblazing what they did. Yeah. You know, the McDonald brothers didn't know what they hit him when they met that guy. <laughs> I know. So, the uh, film's brilliant as well. Yeah, yeah. Michael, Ke- Michael Keaton's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But just I wanted to sort of divulge into this really quickly yeah. on that theme of I spent nine years in Tesco, mm-hmm. and Aldi have done something incredible. Where now you walk around Tesco. And Tesco advertising Audi price drop <laughs> match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're in Tesco walking around, and Audi have somehow magic themselves onto the shelves of every Tesco mm-hmm. store in the UK, which is bonkers. It's crazy. As a marketer, it makes me chuckle mm-hmm. every time I see it. Oh, it's just genius. It's phenomenal. It's so so clever. So so yeah. And it, I guess it was completely unintended as well. And I yeah. think that's the interesting thing. Yeah. Like they've become such this huge powerhouse that actually <laughs> other people are using their name to sell, which is. Insane, especially coming out of Tesco, used to be the forefront of everything, yeah. leaders, and yeah. now they're almost chasing everybody's tail. Absolutely, it's crazy. I think it's simplicity as well, isn't it? Alongside that, we've mentioned this a couple of times t- today, but that simplicity and attention to detail is absolutely vital. And just coming back to the Apple thing, one thing I love about them is everything is an experience yeah. beside the magic mouse, which if you've ever used the magic mouse you will know that the charging port is underneath so when it needs charging you cannot use that mouse i'm not going to get into that because it really winds me up but their simplicity the experience so even when you open an apple product Mm. the boxes are designed in a way that they open slowly you slide a macbook box lid off and it's slowly you almost expect dry ice to come out underneath same for the iphone boxes everything is an experience everything is uniformed and i think that is a key essential thing for marketeers businesses anyone in that industry to sort of remember that yeah the consumers are becoming more informed they're more savvy they're more intelligent but simplicity consistency and honesty i think are all key elements that we all need to remember. Yeah. You know, people come first, don't they? At the end of the day, we build things on relationships, which is, I think, you've touched on that quite a lot in what you've done yeah. over your past experiences. People are at the forefront. So that being said, what could your business not live without? I think, <laughs> I think patience really is okay. the, the fundamental thing. So, so, it, so understanding. So I think it comes back to something I said about understand the sales cycle. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, tr- so traditionally in the, in the world of selling, you know, you have the, the you know the sales manager or the boss going, like, "Why aren't you selling more? Why aren't you selling?" And the answer normally is because either we haven't either we haven't done something right in the process, or we haven't articulated things right, or we actually haven't addressed the customers or within a customer might be four or five people, but their specific problems so we're not solving their problems well enough and it takes time to do that so i think patience um is a thing that uh, and it's easy for me to say but if you get your processes right um it doesn't become patience because what you're what we're all doing or in good business is what we're doing is, and the customers don't know we're processing them mm-hmm. and as a consumer i'm being processed mm-hmm. i'm being processed by you know amazon Ryan's out rhino whoever these guys whoever these guys are they're processing me they know what they, they they know what my next move is before I do because, <laughs> because they got hundreds of thousands of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but even at, even at a small business end of things, if we if we sat in a room and worked out, if we looked at our best twenty customers, and went, okay, what's typical, what's similar, what are the things that they did, and can we then and what problems were we solving from, and how long did that take, and you can actually stage gate mm-hmm. things quite often. And then you got to then you work out well how many leads do we need to generate to generate that invoice at the other end of this 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 um, there's a brilliant book called Flywheel and it's all about businesses and the flywheels of interlocking chain things mm-hmm. what drives what in a business and what comes out at the end you know conversion rates 
stage processes? Why is why are these people stuck at what we call stage three or yeah. whatever it is? What what aren't we doing? It's not their fault. We're not doing something yep. that 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 will move. So, so they've either we've got to get them out of our pipe, pipeline or move them on yeah. because sitting there is no good to anybody. It's no good yeah. to them because they don't know they're there, <laughs> and it's no good to us because they're we're on, you know, we're not moving them to, to the yeah. right stage. So I think patience. Um, we couldn't live without um and actually collaboration is the other thing so we i do i do uh, some work with a business called go mad thinking and the uh, the mad stands for make a difference okay. um nice. and uh, they um so this based on some academic research about 20 years ago they looked at what uh, what successful people did what are the things they do and this is proper academic research this isn't some self-help guru this is mm -hmm. yeah this is this is academic mm -hmm. stuff done by academics and they they studied the what and they call successful you know successful sports people successful politicians successful business people nelson mandela you know all sorts yeah. of people and they came down to seven things and one of the things and and there's some obvious ones you know take action take responsibility um but the one that always sticks out to me more than anything else is involving other people it's absolutely a thing mm -hmm. that successful people involve other people and that, that covers lots of different things around it but it includes people from outside your business talking to people inside your business and I think for us as a business collaborating with people and involving other people and being open about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I introduce lots of businesses to lots of other businesses. Yeah, and I don't know whether I'm going to get a financial benefit out of it. Yeah, I might. I hope I will at some point or some other benefit. But I, there's a bit of the givers get, and I think the other thing for me is if you don't involve other people, if you're trying to do something in business and you don't involve other people, how do you know the questions you should be asking yourself? Mm. There's a, another brilliant book. It's called. It's either called Who, What, How, or How, What, Who, or it's, it's those three words in yeah. some or other. And what what human beings tend to do is they tend to try and work out um, what they want to do. So we so we're sitting here and we, we're in business and we're trying to work out we want to do this thing. Then they try and work out how to do it. Now, that's okay if you know how to do it mm -hmm. or you know all the elements of how to do it or all the divergent questions you should be asking yourself to get to the point in it, but it's not okay if you don't uh, in Donald Rumsfeld speak um, if you don't know what you don't know yeah so I try and coach people you're going to work out broad scheme of things what you want to do and a little bit digging into how you might do it because it might be a completely bonkers idea you know because you might spend 20 minutes trying to or a series we coach around a series of 20 minutes with, with space in between and because human beings can't concentrate for more than 20 minutes um <laughs> Uh, and that's a fact actually mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah that's yeah. why ted talk is 20 minutes by the way yeah, that's yeah. exactly why it is um and and so what people do is what we want to do then they try and work out how they're going to do it and i think okay what you maybe should do is what we're going to do who can help us mm -hmm. who can help us to go and ask some bloody questions second bleep <laughs> go and ask some questions think of some good questions and go and ask and it's great it's amazing how that then you can work out how to do it yeah and lo and behold, you may go back to some who's that you've asked to help you do it. And I think we're all, not all, a lot of people are a bit loath. I'm out of project. You know, I've been asked to look at a feasibility study for mm -hmm. growing. Um, uh, it's a business involved in construction. And Guy, who I've done some work with, he's the lead consultant on it. He rang me up and said, look, we've got this. They might want to franchise their business. And I said, well, brilliant. Well, they might not. And he said, well, can you help with the feasibility? And I said, yeah, brilliant. So what have I done? I've now spoken on, on email a couple of people who I know. One's a finance expert because this business over here, who, who's looking at it, they're a twenty million pound business. So mm. they're, they're they're not kids. Mm. So and I'm thinking, okay, we could put together a little collaborative temporary team. Yep. They'd have to pay to do it, or or, or we'll do it on a women of prayer. I don't, don't know yet. But I've spoken to th three or four people now, and I'm going to go back to that lead consultant and say, look, you can have me absolutely. But I'm only going to give you one angle on this, my mm -hmm. angle. Mm -hmm. Now, my angle, I'd like to think, is quite objective. But what I don't want to do, I don't want to, I don't want to sell them franchising as an op option. I want to sell them the idea that they might consider several options. Yeah. And I'll give them all the stuff about franchising. But I don't want to do that alone. Mm -hmm. 
and I'll take a financial hit on the project for doing it. Mm -hmm. But boy, in two years' time, if it works out, yeah, happy days. Yeah, might might do, might not. So I, yeah, this involving other things is a big thing for me. So is that more of a humble thing from your side that you'd rather educate and give the options, or is it more of a financial thing of okay, well, there's no point me urging or pushing someone to go down the franchise route if I don't think it's going to be viable. I think for me, uh, don't accuse me of being humble. Ever, <laughs> no, I, I think I think for me, it's actually, it's just a logical conclusion. Yeah. Because people are intelligent. You know, let's not treat our potential customers as idiots, because mm -hmm. generally speaking, they're not. And and they can, you know, this beautiful world of the internet allows us to find things out that we couldn't find out 25 years yeah. ago. So let's treat people as adults uh, in all things. Um, we can be childlike in the questioning we do, but let's not be childish about it. Let's let's mm -hmm. treat them as adults. Treat them with you know respect is a far overused word these days. Yeah. But just treat people as adults. You know, let's have, yeah. let's have a there's a there's a whole it's called transactional communication. Um, it's about being an adult, uh, adult, um, adult child. There's another kind And what I like in business is adult to adult dialogue. Mm -hmm. I don't want to tell people what to do because that's treating them as a as a subordinate or a child. Yeah. I don't want to do yeah. that. I don't want them to, to treat me as a child either. Let's have a, let's have a proper, because we've got choices in all this stuff. So it's more about the logical conclusion is they've got to make the right decision. And if I've added value and built trust, because trust is the currency upon which mm -hmm. most relationships are built and destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if I build a trusting relationship, and I don't say that lightly, that means me giving more of myself mm -hmm. than maybe some other people might do. And I'll, gladly do that yeah and i have been shafted at times for do you know i've been taken for a ride at times but i'm i'm not a buddhist but i do believe that you know the world may come back round and yeah, yeah, you know yeah. kick them in the teeth and maybe <laughs> questionable questions what came first chicken or the egg <laughs> <laughs> uh um uh, Chicken or the egg? That's an, that's impossible to answer. Now, what came first? I was trying I was trying to think of a flip. That there's there's somebody told me a really good answer to that once, and I can't remember what it was. It was the uh, it was the butcher, the hatch, the incubator, the uh, uh, the DNA. Cracking. What's the craziest thing you've ever done? Oh, um, uh, God, that's crazy. Uh, my wife would have some things to say about this uh, <laughs> craziest thing I've ever done. Uh, but it wasn't really crazy. It was, it was the, the, the most life-affirming thing that people thought was bonkers. I went, um, I worked as a labourer. So I was, uh, I, I was saying, you know, I'm about as middle class as you're going to get. I mean, genuinely, you know, I had, you know, I was the nuclear family. You know, I had, a, I had the four in the family. We never argued, very middle class, yada, yada, yada. So anyway, I, I left university and I, I, I'd got a job uh, about six months to, to go into Australia and play rugby uh -huh. and teach stuff. So what I did is I went to, went to work. I played rugby with a guy who worked for a fencing company. But when I say fencing, put motorway crash barriers up. Okay. Right? And so I lived in a caravan uh, underneath what is now the M25 M4 flyover interchange. Uh -huh. I lived in a caravan under there for about four months putting up motorway crash barriers. This is before you guys were born, by the way. Uh, so the, I, I, my claim to fame is I built the M25. Uh, but what I would recommend, they've changed the barriers now, but I would imagine, but um, I would recommend not crashing on that section of the M25 <laughs> because it was all on piecework. We were putting these barriers up and you, I'll tell you what, it's a great way to, it was a great way to earn money, but uh, I'm not sure the quality of some of my work. So people thought I was absolutely bonkers, but paid off, but paid off my student grant, paid off my bank debts, and now I'm going to go abroad. Brilliant. So, yeah. Would you rather fight a giant chicken or 1,000 angry cats? Wow. You've got to think, you've got to think about chickens. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's chicken day today. Yeah. Oh, cats have got sharp claws. I'm not, uh, you know, no. I'd go, I'd go, I'd go for the, chicken i think okay. yeah because the cats will catch me and scratch me to death and the, <laughs> the chicken uh I, I, I used to have a sidestep when i played rugby but you know, I, I could test that out <laughs> nothing else i could test that out against the chicken and then final one it's a zombie apocalypse you're allowed one item what is it and why okay i'm going to sound like a thousand year old now zombie apocalypse so, so zombies are coming to attack us i'm yep. gonna have one item yep. uh i'd have a um What's it called? A transmogrifier, which is the thing that makes you invisible. Oh, okay. I've not heard that one before. Nah, Interesting. Very good. Okay, you know, I, I said that was the last one, but 
I'm going to give you one more. If you were invisible for a day, right. <laughs> what would be the first thing you'd do? Blimey, what's the first thing I'd do if I was invisible for a day? Uh, crikey, that's a really good question. <laughs> really good question. Uh, blimey, that's that's actually stumped me. What would I do? <laughs> because there's lots of things, you know, there's, there's, I've got like two sides of my shoulder going here. Which <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> dabble an angel. Because you could cause all sorts of mayhem, couldn't you, with that? Um, I'm gonna have to come, but I, I haven't got. That's wow! You've you've uh, that's a probably a good way to end the end, that, that end the is, post. Okay. I, I'm stumped with that. I'm, well, that's I'm, a reason to get you back on the show another yeah. time. I'll, answered on a postcard. Then, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. no, I'll come well, back to you. Yeah, definitely come back on. We'd love to have you back. Um, it's been cracking learning about you, your businesses, your experience. I think I can speak for both me yeah, and Tom definitely. that it's been a big eye opener. Um, some of the stories you've got have been amazing. Um, so thank you ever so much. It's been brilliant. We'd love to have you back. Hopefully the listeners think that too. Um, but yeah, have a think about the uh, the last question and let us know. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Thanks, Enjoy Patrick. It. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers.